You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. Right, so uh, we bring you a masterclass every single Wednesday. It's now 12 minutes past two, and the second hour of the show on a Wednesday is devoted to a masterclass that uh, we you suggest topics, we come up with topics, something in the news cycle uh, requires that we spend time focusing on a particular concept or topic, and we look at it in this hour. So it's a concept where we almost take 10,000 hours, an expert's 10,000 hours, and we just get to distill from their experience out of that 10,000 hours that they've spent on a particular subject matter. And this week's topic is of an adult nature, and we will see as we go along. uh, uh, um, But I think I should forewarn you right at the beginning that the topic is of an adult nature. So if you have young children around, then please be forewarned that um, that many of the subjects that we will be touching on are of an adult nature. So make sure that you take the necessary precautions if you have children around you. And so today's masterclass is on fetish. If you have a fetish, we'd love to hear from you. If you've ever wondered why you have a fetish, hopefully that's a question we're going to get to answer in this segment. Maybe your partner has a fetish, how to deal with that, um, uh, if that's the case. And many more people seemingly are getting more and more comfortable to discuss their fetishes. Um, and in part, maybe we can attribute this to uh, what we see playing out in the media landscape, movies such as Fifty Shades of Grey, for instance. It's catapulted the BDSM community into the spotlight yes many have said it's not accurate yes don't have me for that let me just put that disclaimer (laughs) that um, it is said to be really not an accurate uh, uh, or fair depiction Um, but the unfortunate side is that there's also shaming when it comes to having a fetish. Uh, many fetishes and kinks remain on the fringes uh, with uh, people being afraid to vocalize what they would like, what their experiences are. Um, and this is what studies also show. So this afternoon, we are in the company of uh, Deline van Dijk. She's a sexuality educator, nurse therapist at Second Sight Consultant. And um, this is she's going to be guiding us through this conversation. Deline, thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon, Azania and listeners, and thanks for having me. Lovely to have you. Um, So this is one of those taboo topics that maybe some people uh, will not necessarily feel comfortable to delve into. And this is going to be the work of really unpacking uh, a subject matter that often goes or is viewed uh, unfavorably. So let's first start by defining it. I mean, I used the word kinks earlier on. Um, How what is a fetish? How would you define a fetish? Well, yeah, you mentioned BDSM a little bit earlier. You mentioned kink. But uh, a fetish is sort of a subsection uh, of of the whole kink or BDSM uh, lifestyle then or uh, different kinds of diverse sexualities. Uh, I would like not to pathologize fetishes from the start. Mm. I will, however, differentiate when it becomes, for instance, a paraphilic disorder, but I will mean that later. So just to start off with the, the very simplistic, the most simplistic definition that I can give you is that it's a, a person having a strong liking or need for a particular object or activity giving them sexual pleasure and excitement or satisfaction. 
And that sexual desire is with an inanimate object mm-hmm. or a body part that's not generally, and I again use the term generally and not nominally, but generally associated with sex. So it's commonly you will see things like undergarments or diapers, adult diapers or stockings or boots or shoes or leather or latex or rubber. Um, so that's the, the attraction. So in other words, very simply, the individual will struggle to have desire for sexual pleasure unless that object is not involved. And then we'll talk about that when that becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what's in, it's important to understand is that um, it, it is, there's a continuum of, of uh, attraction towards other things that's not generally part of our sexual uh, repertoires uh, or seen as if we take the very, uh, when we talk about the very, uh, uh, um, when, <laughs> how do I call it, uh, the missionary position, for mm-hmm. instance. So that has been seen as the apparent norm. And I again talk about the apparent norm because human sexuality is beautifully diverse. And, but then, so in other words, what I want to try and say is that even kinks or fetishes is on a continuum. Right. So most of us have some kind of kink or fetish. Mm-hmm. We obviously not talk about it generally, but to give you an, uh, an idea to be, to have a sort of a pat on the back or on the bum with a, with a wooden spoon, for instance, or something like that, that is a fetish. Right. And to, to, if somebody pulls your hair, that is a kind of kink mm-hmm. uh, during the sexual act. So a lot of us, I mean, we call, Sometimes we call our partners baby. Mm-hmm. So, so the irony is when, when we call somebody baby, we, we actually use an, an word that we use with, with, with babies, with children. Mm-hmm. And it's also a form of fetish. So I think that's important for the listeners to understand that we all have some kind of kink. And it's on it's a continuum. And it's on a continuum. Right. And, and then we'll talk from, about we'll talk about when it gets into yes. the disorder side, which is on the one end of the continuum. Yes. But generally speaking, we all have that thing that piques our arousal, our interest our, uh, uh, on this continuum. Exactly. Right. Um, so how does how does it develop in a person? How do we develop it? Well, from a psychological point of view, it of course, there is no specific theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do ask, for instance, somebody that comes up from the school of psychoanalysis, um, they will tell you that if something is pervasive, if it's something that repeats continuously, if it's something that the individual uh, are stuck in, like uh, some kind of infantile behavior, um, then it's a problem. Okay. But that is the psychoanalysts. They will look into that. The mm-hmm. general school of thought uh, amongst uh, in the psychology is that it depends on, again, that continuum. It depends on is it a paraphilia or is it a paraphilic disorder? Now, let me mention now I'm going to talk a bit about the pathology. The, the DSM-5R, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, a worldwide used by the psychology uh, field and psychiatry field to make sense of uh, behavior, make sense of mental health. They, and, and I mean, it 
that it took, to get to the DSM-5, oh, it took them 14 years to get to a point where they actually said that there's a difference between paraphilias. Now, a paraphilia is very simple, unusual fantasies uh, uh, or behavior necessitating sexual excitement or necessary for sexual excitement. So that's a paraphilia. Mm-hmm. So what they've then done is now in the past year, it, was, uh, it came out in 2020, that there's a difference between paraphilias and paraphilic disorders. Now, the, what's the difference? A paraphilia would be, for instance, to like a pat on the bum with an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. With the consent of the person or persons involved and no coercion. Okay, so that's important. So when it becomes a paraphilic disorder, what's very important is that it causes distress. Mm-hmm. And that distress becomes pervasive. And the second part that's very in, in the individual, it causes distress in the individual as well as the, the, the individuals involved. And what then is also very important to understand is that it causes harm mm. to a, another individual or more than one individual or there's coercion involved. So to give you a very practical experience, for instance, there's a term called frottage, and frottage is rubbing your body against a body part of another person in order to uh, experience sexual excitement. Uh, Now, if that person gives consent, or people involved in the sexual act give consent, it's not problematic. Mm -hmm. When it becomes a, a, a point where this individual rubs against strangers without their consent, then it becomes a paraphilic disorder. disorder or right. a paraphilic, paraphilic disorder. Yes. So it's the same with exhibitionism. Yes, I actually wanted to say that. Or people who expose themselves yeah. in public, in the public, uh, uh, in public spaces, yeah. um, when they can be arrested, been arrested, uh, because it does then cause harm in, in, in that context. Yeah. It violates another person's safety and right. uh, causes extreme invulnerability. So it's the same. I wanted to use the, the form of uh, the example of exhibitionism. Mm. So when you're with people, with friends or a bunch of people, not necessarily friends, and everybody gives consent to this individual walking in the nude, being in the nude with them, uh, and there's no children involved, of course, um, that is consensual. Mm-hmm. That will be just a paraphilia. As soon as that person then goes to the mall, flashes, what we call them as flashes, very simply, yeah. and other people are involved, it becomes a paraphilic uh, disorder. disorder. All right. Uh, mm. We're going to unpack this a little bit more, and we'll maybe discuss some of the treatment therapies, especially when it comes to the paraphilic disorders, but also come back to that other end of the spectrum, where it's just paraphilia, uh, where it's just fantasies, and it's carried out with consent, uh, because my guest, Delene, has done a great job in distinguishing between the two. We'll take your calls, your questions, Zero one one eight eight three zero seven zero two. Your WhatsApps and your voice notes on zero seven two seven zero two one seven zero two. Seven zero two masterclass. Twenty six minutes past uh, two. We've been unpacking. Fetishes with Darlene van Dijk as part of today's masterclass. She's a sexuality educator and a nurse therapist at Second uh, Sight Consultants. And wow, uh, it's quite an odyssey. What an interesting space. And we'll take your questions and your, uh, um, just your comments as part of the conversation on 011-883-0702. I mean, during the break, I was like, what are my fetishes? <laughs> 
<laughs> what are your fetishes? <laughs> um, yeah, so Deline, if we stick with the paraphilic disorder for a moment and we'll go back to um, just the fantasies, things that people do get up to with consent, let's just complete this discussion for a moment. What kind of therapies then are there um, and the point at which it requires therapy? Yeah, I'm just going to mention again, of course, the point where t- t- that, that there's a therapy or not necessarily therapy, but a mental health intervention necessary is when it causes distress and, and that, that distress is quite pervasive and uh, it uh, influences the functioning of the individual or the the family or the or the or the relationship, mm-hmm. and of course, when it causes harm, and now that's two different things. For some people, it causes distress, and it's pervasive, especially coming from uh, ours. You know, Africans, South Africans come from quite very specific religious context, mm-hmm. where where words like masturbation is not even mentioned, um, and uh, thing yeah, where sex in itself is stigmatized and shamed, uh, and especially issues around pleasure and self-pleasure. So we must be very mindful of where people come from. So number one, when it causes distress, it might just cause distress in the individual or in the in the uh, uh, relationship, but it, on the bigger scheme of things, from my side as a therapist, as a counsellor, I might not see it as pathological only. So in other words, what they, what the, the need for the fetish is not the problem, but the impact of that in the relationship becomes problematic. Now that I would refer at the end, uh, I would give a couple of um, referrals to people to go to uh, what I would like to call conscious, um, more aware, sex-positive therapists that's available mm-hmm in our country that can give guidance there. As co- of course, as soon as, be- as it becomes harmful, in other words, other people's rights uh, have been violated and it becomes a case of the law, the law will then, and that person then uh, have to go through the motions of the law. And of course, their specific people will be involved in that process. Right. So it's two sides. So even that is on a co- continuum. Mm-hmm. Even when it becomes a paraphilic disorder. So it's only again becomes a disorder if it causes distress. Now that distress in itself is also on a continuum because what's, what is shameful for me is not necessarily shameful for another person. What causes that shameful thoughts about myself yeah. causes the harm, not necessarily the intervention itself or the, uh, or the paraphilia or the uh, fetish in itself. So, and that's why it's important to get to somebody who understands sexuality, who understands diversity mm-hmm. and not uh, sort of create a secondary trauma of shaming the individual even more or not understanding their process of acceptance of the self and, and making plans of what to do with that in the future. Mm. And isn't it a good thing that we are here now, at least, uh, because I know that at Second Sight Consultants, this is really the whole premise to help people have a really healthy relationship with not just their sexualities, with their bodies, uh, but also with what they enjoy. Of course, I think I think that's why I love this work so much. And I, I'm always fascinated and excited by it is that in actual fact, it, it is not what we do, what is so scary and strange and weird. It mm-hmm. is what we think about what we do that's scary and weird and strange and what other people think about what we do. Uh, and of course, I always say this in, in, the, in line with consent. 
it's not. Mm-hmm. So, so that, and I think that's the, that's why this work is so fascinating. And, and, and a lot of the time, it's mostly about ignorance and shame. Mm. I think I well, always well, say this in my work yeah. is that we are, we are marinated in shame when it comes to sexuality and, and sexual behavior. We are marinated in it. Mm. And that says a lot about where we come from. Absolutely. We'll unpack a little bit more of that after we take headlines. 702 Masterclass. And we're back with Deline van Dijk, and she is a sexuality educator and nurse therapist at Second Sight Consultants. And we're talking about fetishes today. Do you have a fetish? Uh, is it been easy to communicate to a partner and uh, uh, um, just your experience overall? Because uh, earlier on, just before the headlines, Deline had been talking about often the shame that uh, fetish is shrouded in. And we worry about what other people will think. We judge ourselves quite harshly for having these uh, desires. We outlined quite clearly what is a disorder. And uh, as uh, Deline has been uh, clear to to emphasize is that this happens on a continuum, paraphilic uh, disorders and just paraphilia. Um, so we're taking your calls now, 011-8830702. So um, Deline, so many different directions we could go in, but I just want to start with um, this question that's been raised by one of our listeners saying, could she please explain the difference between uh, fetish and fantasy? Do the two converge or are they in, are they intended uh, just completely separate? Yeah, a fantasy, of course, is this. It doesn't go over into practice. The fetish, however, does. I'll give you a, so. So if the fetish becomes the practical implementation of the fantasy. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. In other words, you have a fantasy. In other words, thoughts, desires of having your partner uh, spanking you, for instance, with a uh, a spoon, mm. a wooden spoon. But, of course, living the fetish is that you can actually tell your parent, uh, your, your partner, that's the desire. And, of course, doing it in its in its physical form mm. so that's the difference yes here's a voice note uh because we were talking about types a moment ago types of fetishes that you may have here's a voice note good afternoon Deaza. it's t here from pretoria yeah fetishes no? i've got a bit of a weird one just love a woman with beautiful feet like, yeah, that really gets me going. <laughs> beautiful feet. To match a beautiful face, you can't go wrong. Thanks. Sure. Okay. So his thing is feet. All about feet. You talked a little bit about what psychoanalysts believe, but there's also this perception that it comes from something, uh, how things maybe were filed or set down in our, in our, in, in our youth, in our childhood. Yeah, I often smile when I hear that. Number one, the number one fetish in the world is a foot fetish. Is it? Ironically. Oh. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's always interesting for me the moment we don't understand something. Mm. We often ask ourselves, so where does it come from? It must come from something. Mm -hmm. Where, In other words, why can't we just say, but it's part of your general 
sexual desire, uh, you know. So, so the moment it becomes outside that, I almost want to say heteronormative model with a mommy, a daddy, 2.4 kids, the dog and the cat and the picket fence, yeah. and of course, da- daddy on top. As soon as, as things become beyond that, we often ask ourselves, but it's not something that I know. It's not something that I, I've heard about before often. And when I do, it's, it's weird. It's, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me ask questions about myself because deep inside all of us, like I said earlier, there is some kind of king. Mm-hmm. And it often makes us feel ashamed. So in a certain way, where does it come from? It's a difficult question to ask because of the, the fact that sexual, sexual fantasies and desire is so highly varied. I mean, there's more than 300 reasons why people have sex. Um, so, so just that tells us yeah. that, that it is, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint. And of course, very little studies, um, very little academia focusing specifically on fetishes because in a certain way, is it really necessary? Mm. You, know, you have to ask yourself, is it really necessary? Mm. Um, but I do understand people's need to understand where it comes from. So to go back to your question, we don't know where all fetishes come from. Um, I know there's some stories going around specifically about the foot fetish and even saying this on air, I say it with a pinch of salt. I don't want people <laughs> to believe this because yeah. I haven't found the, the evidence. But some people would say the child uh, is crying. Mommy is coming from, from work or being out for the day. The child cries. The child needs some nurturing and care and some soothing and feel loved and feel safe. And, of course, mommy walks up to the child child sees the the feet first the beautiful shoes first and after seeing that gets picked up and they can get soothed get feeling loved and safe and and i think that's the relationship between if we talk about behavior where does it come from it is of course when somebody uh starts to develop sexual fantasies or desires around an inanimate object, of course there's emotions involved. Mm-hmm. Sex in itself is much more emotional than it's actually physical. And I think, I think when we try to understand the emotions, uh, then maybe we'll get some answers. So some people wow. say it's about attachment. Attachment theory, yeah. uh, how, how we got attached to a specific parent in some way, how that inanimate object uh, reminds of, of the, the, the feeling safe. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, kink or fetishes or BDSM is actually like my one colleague always says, it is like a play therapy for adults. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, why, why do kids play? Why do children play? They play to release tension. They play to release uh, anxiety and to feel free, to grow, to learn. And if we think about acting on our fetishes in a healthy way yeah. and being feeling safe to act on it, safe to explore it, it's it, it, incredibly meaningful for an adult. It's an, I love it what you... Be an, I've absolutely yeah. loved what you said, Deline, when you say fetish is like play therapy for adults. But then secondly, you say that uh, sex is emotional. It's more emotional than physical. And so often you'd hear people, I guess, mislead themselves and say things like, ah, it's just, it, it's just physical. They know emotions or that they're in it just for, for the physical act. And they know that they won't get attached emotionally. And this really just what you said, the statement turns that on its head. 
Absolutely. I mean, yes, for some people, it depends on where you come from. It can be purely physical. Okay. But I think for most people, there is quite an emotional attachment to it. I mean, after you've had a good time in bed or the backseat of your car, wherever you choose to have your fun, <laughs> um, things happen to you. It's not just a physical release. Mm-hmm. There's things, mm-hmm. emotional reaction towards that experience of ecstasy with another person. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's emotional. So, so nobody can actually claim that it's there's no emotions involved. So let's come back to the messages that we've received. They also help to take us in the different directions that we need to go in. One says, I have a couple of fetishes and I sometimes think when I tell my partner I want to try, it's like I'm doing things that maybe I've seen in pornography movies. Uh, example, I wanted to have sex on the kitchen floor and she laughed so much that I felt dirty and small. So... Um, it's intimacy should be healthy and judgment free and safe, but that's not always the case. You've talked about safety quite a few times. How do we broach? How do we introduce our fetish in a relationship in a way that will hopefully not leave you feeling dirty and small? Yeah, I think number one, we have to understand that sex equals vulnerability. Mm. We are all vulnerable when you have sex with your partner or partners, I don't judge, then it's a space of vulnerability. And I think to give each other the benefit of the, of the doubt that, that there's a vulnerability involved. Right. Of course, that is for any, just if you think about just the missionary position, there's vulnerability in law involved. So now if we talk about things out of the ordinary, then, of course, the vulnerability factor becomes even higher. Mm-hmm. Now, I always talk about fetishes in terms of Brussels sprouts, you know. Um, <laughs> like an, such an unsexy vegetable, but okay. <laughs> well, it depends. Um, I think in, in a certain way, if you think about it, not a lot of people really like Brussels sprouts. Mm. But... But there are some people that really loves it. And some people loves it in, in a very simplistic way in being in butter and bo- cooked in butter. And some like it with some sauces, etc. So the Brussels sprout in this case would, for instance, be the fetish. Not everybody likes it. And some people might try it, but in different forms. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Maybe with a little bit of bacon with it, with some some zest of lemon zest with it. It depends. So I think in a way, number one, to remember that your fetish is not necessarily everybody else's fetish. And some people will frown upon it. It's it's something to be aware of. Not to be ashamed of, mm. but be aware of where other people come from because they don't necessarily like Brussels sprouts in the way you like it. But they might like it in a different way. And that's an opening. That's an that's a possibility for for conversation. Also, not everybody likes to eat. Even the, the diehard uh, Brussels sprouts fans don't like to eat Brussels sprouts every All day, three time. times a day. Mm-hmm. And, and I think because also then it becomes pervasive and it could become pathological. So that's also <laughs> important to understand. Um, another, so, so I'm when never going to look at Brussels those Brussels sprouts in the shop shop <laughs> the same again, Denise. <laughs> so, so I think when it comes to partner or partners, where you have to talk about your your need, it's about starting a, a open conversation in, conversation in a very subtle way. Mm. 
In other words, to sort of externalize it, not talk about yourself and your own desires and fantasies, but rather say something like, for instance, I've listened to this wonderful uh, show this afternoon of, with Azania and they talked about fetishes and what's your take on it? Yeah. You know, so in other words, you don't put yourself in the center of the conversation, but talk about other things. For that matter, uh, what you said in the beginning of Fifty Shades of Grey, there's a lot of different conversations that we can have about it. But the one thing for me as a psychosexual educator is that it opened up conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's a positive thing. And then that we can take that conversation further. So I think, number one, if you have to have that conversation with your partner is to be subtle, to be strategic. Yes. And, uh, and not in a vindictive way. But So for instance, if we take the possibility of having sex on the kitchen floor, is to start to have a conversation about it. You know, not about the need to have sex on the kitchen floor, but to have a conversation of, of sexual diversity where you've heard about it, where you've seen it. Yes, of course, to say you've seen it on Pornhub or whatever, that's not necessarily a way to out yourself. But to, to, because we talk about these things like we do now on 702 yeah. or somebody has yeah. seen a documentary and... On that they document, they can talk about the documentary, or they can talk about Fifty Shades of Grey, or whatever. Mm. Is to again to externalize it, and then while you have that conversation on the kitchen floor, and you just sit and talk about it, is to be mindful that as soon as you start talking about your own sexual needs, desires, and fantasies, is that that other person might not be ready for that conversation yet. Okay, and that well, does not mean mm -hmm. that does not mean that they will not have the conversation. So they might initially, when you do say, I want to have sex on the kitchen floor, they must might come from a place of shame themselves mm. and a place of ignorance themselves. All right. So, Deline, let's so take a break. Let's take a break. Mm, then we'll uh, wrap yes. our conversation after this. We're coming to Angelo's call and some of your WhatsApps as we talk fetish in today's masterclass. 702 Masterclass. We've got psychosocial educator Deline van Dijk joining us this afternoon on a masterclass on fetish. It is strictly adult radio. As we conclude our conversation, let's go to Angelo and Greymont. Hello, Angelo. Hello, good day to you and to the lady. Yes, welcome. Uh, on your show. Mm. I've got a fetish about figs. Figs? Yeah, well, if you split a fig open. Yes. And it's juicy and you need to gently nibble at it and lick it. Uh -huh. So I had uh, an affair with a woman who insisted I do that to her vagina. Mm. And I always found when I see a wig, a fig, I get turned on. With the fig. Split a fig. It's very juicy. You can't. I have a fig it. tree. I grew up with fig trees. I also love them. You just split them, especially when they're perfectly ripe. Mmm. <laughs> and anyway, that's my fetish. It's fig. Plus a Figs. lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. Angelo, thank you. So there's an uh, an inanimate object. Um, so, Deline, earlier you mentioned that feet are the number one fetish. What else is on this list, especially in terms of what's common and popular? I think things like rubber. Rubber? <laughs> Any rubber, yeah, latex. Mm. Latex, some people will use kitchen, kitchen utensils that they feel, mm, this might, this feels nice, you know, nice silicone spatulas, etc. Yeah. That's quite common as well. Um, Stockings. Um, oh, right. Specific stockings. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, this beautiful example of a pig. Mm. 
it shows you that's for, for people it can be different. It can be so varied. Variety. Yeah. So varied. Mm. Yeah. Let's come to some of the WhatsApps. Uh, one person is asking about soccer players. You know, when they take off their T-shirts. So at the beginning of that message, I thought that they, they were saying that that's something that they enjoy. But it says soccer players pulling off their jerseys after scoring a goal. Is that consensual or a form of some acute fetish? They get carded for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and then another one says um, there appears to be a few doctors that have a mild version of fruturism, fruturism, right? As a patient, I have been on the non-consensual receiving end of a doctor or two rubbing their body bits against mine during examinations. I kid you not, this WhatsApp says. And we touched on this earlier. It's the, one of the examples you gave um, around paralytic disorders. Yeah. I mean, that's a form of sexual non-consent, mm-hmm. as subtle as it is. And I think that's what's, what's make it the work of, of healthcare providers so specific and so so it must be so ethical because it can easily be a space where vulnerability can be abused. Yeah. So of course, that is sexual assault, uh, very plain and simple. Mm-hmm. But it's so subtle and it's very hard to address. Hmm. But um, yes, it's it's not on. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one person quickly says, what about being recorded? That's that's not necessarily a fetish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a fantasy or part of desire. Um, I would not necessarily. I think if you rub yourself against the recorder, <laughs> that might be the fetish. <laughs> but um, yeah, in itself, it's it's just part of fantasy and desire. This is part of fantasy. Okay. Well, Deline, how do our listeners get a hold of Second Sight Consultants? Well, they can just uh, Google me I and mean, they will get hold of me. Mm. But I think what's also important, there's various organizations now that's doing a whole lot of wonderful work in positive and um, the sex and uh, education. Like, for instance, Sasha, the South African Sexual Health Association. Mm-hmm. And it's plain just Sasha, S-A-S-H-A dot org dot Z-A. Yeah. And on there, they will find links to sex positive therapists. Okay. Because what I mentioned earlier is because the field of sexuality in itself, um, is, is, is a sensitive field. It's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ethics involved mm-hmm. more so than any other health field. Mm-hmm. And I think to, to when you start to explore your own sexuality and desires and specifically fetishes, is to to make sure that you go to a safe place, a place where you will not be judged, but actually guided to to get Correct, to a point yeah. of understanding right. and acceptance. Okay. So that's a space, and then of course, Fet Life, mm-hmm. which is also an online platform. There's lots of education. It's a community. There's a lot of they talk a lot about safety and ethics. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's places where people can go and explore themselves. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. I think that's a handy list of places to start. That was my guest, Deline van Dijk, and it's D-E-L-E-N-E. No, no A's, just E's, Deline van Dijk. And I hereby give you permission to use this podcast as a way of intro- introduction to the topic at home.